All right, glad you're with us. You know, you think this this can't get any more screwed up, messed up. Uh, it, it, every time you turn around, you just you just keep discovering more, more, and more. That is, how is it the United States of America? We have two vaccines for COVID in less than a, a year from the first identified case in the country. How's that even possible? And yet. We have all the states that can that can run their elections with integrity, that we have confidence and trust and and every belief is accurate and fair and and everybody moves on with their life. And then you've got the same states over and over and over again. And see, you see this pattern. Look at Georgia, for example. And I can't believe it. I, I mean, every every day I turn around, I'm like, you're kidding me. Now, it's just not even possible. But it is. Um, I would, you know, unfortunately it's going to take like real, real, a, a deep, significant dive by numbers crunchers and computer experts and researchers. I don't know when you ever, or if you ever, in some of these cases can ever have full faith and trust in what, what the ultimate outcome of this thing is here. But, you know, we see a pattern, for example, in Georgia, thousands of ballots, different locations, all overlooked on election night. Now we're finding them two weeks later. For example, the 2,600 uncounted ballots we discovered Monday of this week. That was in uh, Georgia's Floyd County. Then more than 3,000 uncounted ballots turned up yesterday in, in two other Georgia counties as the state continues its audit of the 2020 presidential election. And as the hand tallying continues, officials in Fayette County, they just magically found 2,755 ballots not included in the original count. In a close race, guess what? Those votes matter. Then they found an additional 284 ballots in Walton County. Local Board of Elections Chair Lori Wood told the Walton Tribune that the problem was due to voters being previously uploaded from only one of the two ballot scanners that are in the precinct. Well, we would have discovered it. Maybe not this week, but we would have discovered it. Well, okay. We've been waiting two weeks now. Anyway, the, the Walton County ballots boosted the president's lead in that county by 176 more votes. Recent uh, findings follow the discovery of 2,600 ballots in Floyd County that had not been counted at the time floyd county republican party chair luke martin called the mishap quote concerning but insisted it doesn't appear to be a widespread issue well we're up to three counties it seems pretty widespread to me uh after the fayette county discovery martin then pointed to a lack of sufficient observation of the counting process in parts of the state as a possible reason for why no one caught the mistakes Quote, if this was human error and the Board of Elections allowed the parties and the public to view the counting of the ballots, well, we could have seen that, but we didn't get the opportunity to be there, Martin told Fox News last night. And the state's also conducting an investigation of Fulton County's election management. And Biden has uh, been leading by, what, approximately 14,000 votes. Now we're down to 12,000 something. And, you know, and apparently there's more ballots, I'm told, that might be coming out today. The Epic Times pointed out that a recount monitor, and I actually have the full affidavit in front of me, in Georgia discovered a 9,626 vote error in the hand recount in DeKalb County, Georgia, 
according to the Georgia Republican Party. Quote, one of our monitors discovered a 9,626 vote error in DeKalb County in the hand count. One batch was labeled 10,707 for Biden, 13 for Trump. Now that, I don't care how liberal the county is, that just doesn't add up to, in my mind. Pretty improbable margin, even by DeKalb standards. Now the actual batch, now they're saying, was just 1,081. How do you go from 10,707 to 1,081 and 13 for Trump? Anyway, this was on the head of the Republican Party's Twitter account. And uh, as of today, and quote, had this counting error not been discovered... Biden would have gained enough votes from this one batch alone to cancel out Trump's gains in Fayette, Floyd and Walton, referring to the three Georgia counties, which discovered memory cards with uncounted votes on Monday and Tuesday. Why isn't it part of the general process before you even give out the results? How about you check the memory cards like twice? That doesn't seem that complicated to me, especially if you know the machines. Apparently, the machines, just like they had problems during the primary Earlier in the year, the same machines that gave them problems, same machines that Elizabeth Warren, Ron Wyden, Democrats were complaining about, the same machines that were criticized by the New York Times, the same machines that were criticized by the AP, the same machines that this, believe it or not, voting machine expert, tenured professor at Princeton University said in a pretty scathing report then, it's the same company, machines, etc., Uh, that Texas rejected twice in 2019 after they had two extensive tests with the system, after they had previously said, no, it doesn't meet our standards again in 2013. Now, if everybody on all sides of the aisle and the media mob actually agree on something, which is a rarity, maybe that tells you that maybe that's not the right system. Anyway, so Schaefer said two official counters signed off on the miscounted batch. GOP attorneys turned over an affidavit on the incident. To the Georgia Secretary of State, it was pretty useless lately, and requested an investigation. We were limited to one monitor for every 10 counting tables, and we were kept some distance from the tables. There's no telling what we missed under these unreasonable restrictions, Schaefer said. Now, Fayette, Floyd, Walton counties in Georgia discovered uncounted votes Monday, Tuesday, batch each of them favoring Donald Trump. They discovered votes cut. Uh, Biden's leading the state by more than 1,400 votes. This is not a small, insignificant error here. And if you have problems in these three counties, does it then, you know, are we going to go back and look at every county to the extent that we should? Now, the deadline in Georgia to complete the recount is 11.59 today. 11.59. Now, the the state is scheduled to vote on whether to certify the results on, uh, of the, on Friday. Now, all the calls for the governor, who has it in his authority to call for a special session to deal with these problems, especially ahead of the January 5th runoff for these two Senate seats that will control the, the power in the U.S. Senate, which are critical and crucial, you know, that's all hanging in the balance in the meantime. By the way, if Reuters polls come out, when asked specifically whether Biden had rightfully won, 52% of Republicans said, no, Trump rightfully won. Only 29% said Biden. How could you look at the end of all of this? And this is the problem here. When you have so many of our states, and there's only a handful of states we got the problems in. 
just a coincidence that it's the states that seem to matter the most, you know, like Pennsylvania, Georgia in this case, which is the big surprise, and Michigan. We had a shift show there in Michigan last night. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, there are issues now in Wisconsin. Uh, really, is anyone shocked about Nevada? I mean, last night, this is what happened. So you had Republican ballot inspectors. If you remember last week on the TV show, Kaylee McEnany came on and she had and she was holding up 234 affidavits from one county in Michigan, Wayne County in Michigan. Affidavits, sworn affidavits under the threat of perjury given by eyewitnesses, what they saw, irregularities while they were there. Now, some of you may say, well, some people just say anything in an affidavit. I don't know about that. Especially because if you perjure yourself, you could go to jail. So there might be partisans on both sides that would be stupid enough to sign something that they knew was false. But when you get hundreds of them doing it, then you begin to see a pattern. And I doubt you're going to find hundreds of people that will sign legal affidavits under the threat of perjury because they favor a political candidate. I I wouldn't do it ever. And I wouldn't advise you do it either. Anyway, so you have these ballot inspectors, which include the city of Detroit. Enormous pressure from local Democrats last night to certify the city's vote in favor of Biden after initially refusing to do so. Now, rather than pursue the evidence which they said they wanted to do, well, as soon as they said they weren't going to certify till they got to the bottom of it, you know, then they just started unleashing cries of blatant racism. Listen. You have extracted a black city out of a county and said the only ones that are at fault at an issue is the city of Detroit, where 80 percent of the people who reside here are African-Americans. That millions of people around the world now on Twitter know the name Monica Palmer and William Hartman as two people completely racist and without an understanding of what integrity means or a shred of human decency. Now, the two people that they're talking about, Monica Palmer, who was just mentioned there, uh, actually looked at the polling books and precincts in Detroit and rightly pointed out they were out of balance. And then Jonathan Kinlock, a Democrat on on the panel, said the discrepancies, well, they're just the result of human error, reckless and irresponsible to not certify the results. What do you mean? How do we know that until we investigate it? Anyway, so they, they vote not to certify. Then the charges gets heated, as you just heard there, and allegations of racism. And then the Michigan Democratic Party chair called the, you know, the 2-2 vote blatant racism. You have the vice president of, of Wayne State University in Detroit saying the stain of racism that you, and then mention the 2 people. I don't even want to call them out on it because, I mean, they just said they wanted to get the vote right. With integrity. Anyway, it's, you know, you just covered yourself as going to follow you throughout history. It's like they're doxing any of these attorneys that, you know, want to work for Donald Trump. Or, you know, the people of fake news, CNN. uh, Well, you know, your support of Trump on social media may one day come back to haunt you. Have you or have you have you ever been a, a voter and supporter of Donald Trump? This is getting this is how nuts it is. People are absolutely insane. And that's what they were stuck with. You have a well-known pastor, the head of the Detroit branch of the NAACP, calling their actions disgraceful. You have extracted a black city out of the county and said 
The only ones that are at fault in the is the city of Detroit. Eighty percent of the people reside there are African Americans. Shame on you. Why are they making it about race? Why can't it be if we have discrepancies, we get to the bottom of it so that the people of Detroit and the rest of the country, which is also impacted by any any fraud or any inconsistencies or numbers that don't add up, it impacts the election. Anyway, after the meeting, the intense criticism didn't cause him to change his vote. One of the guys, he said, rather, he said he acted because the board had agreed to ask the secretary of state to investigate the results and the numbers that they see that were seemingly out of whack. I mean, you talk about group thinking, group pressure. Man, it's getting bad. Just, I, 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 you know, here's a question that I think you got to ask yourself. However, this is going to end up. You hear these stories and you see these ballots weeks later, thousands of them showing up in places. And then you hear about stories like this. And then you see that the numbers don't add up. And then you see, you know, disproportionate numbers. I I guarantee you when statisticians get into this and the people that really analyze this numbers wise, I'm I'm telling you, it's going to be one story after another where they would say it's like a mathematical impossibility. You watch. This is my prediction. As we roll along, 800-941-SEAN. Now, I didn't get to the Vegas story yet. Got Georgia, Michigan. I mean, same states, right? So attorneys and officials for the Trump campaign said uh, yesterday they now have evidence more than 15,000 votes cast in Nevada by people who also voted in another state. Now, what do you think Americans want to know this? Does any of this give you confidence, trust, This election was fair, free, the way it should be. Anyway, they said the votes were accepted by by a thousand from people who don't meet Nevada's residency requirements, 500 for people who are dead. And during a press conference in Vegas, the Trump campaign attorney out there, a guy by the name of James Binall, opened his comments by declaring that Trump won Nevada. And he was joined by the Nevada Attorney General, Adam Laxalt, Matt Schlapp from the American Conservative Union, friend of this program, and asked by the Review Journal if the campaign intends to present the names, addresses, other information, et cetera, et cetera. They said they would provide the evidence of varying forms of irregularities and fraud that would be enough to span the gulf. Now, that complaint didn't include that at this point. Trump lawyers are not going to reveal any evidence before they get to court, they said, which, by the way, makes total, complete and perfect sense. Uh, And because that evidence then would identify witnesses, those witnesses and their families, I guess, as we saw last night in Michigan, would then become instant targets of the Democratic Party's, you know, crazies that uh, just want. They did You know, the thing is, it's like they didn't care about this is where I keep saying breathtaking hypocrisy. They don't care about Russian interference for Hillary. They don't care about spying on campaigns as long as it's against Trump. They don't care about spying on presidents as long as it's Trump. They don't care about quid pro quos as long as it's Trump. And they don't care if there's any voter fraud either, unless it works in their favor against Donald Trump. It's Donald Trump, you know, hatred, rage, psychosis, and it's never going to end. All right, we'll give you the latest on this when we get back. Big questions now arising out of, all right, what are people going to do Thanksgiving week? And, you know, it actually gets complicated, and I'll explain more uh, on the other side of that. We'll also go, we'll uh, take you into the mind of the author. This guy wrote this book, 
fraud how the left plans to steal the next election. He wrote it in 2018. How did he get it right? That, Bill O'Reilly, Newt Gingrich, all coming up. All right, 25 till the top of the hour, 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program? One of the things, I know so many people have just had it. We'll get into this uh, later on in the program today about, you know, big tech companies getting beaten down badly by Graham and, and Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley, and they were actually all amazing yesterday. And, you know, at some point, well, it was a mistake, uh, yeah, censoring the New York Post story about uh, Hunter Biden and uh, Biden, you know, family corruption. It's a mistake. But these things keep happening. And you don't get these straight answers as to whether or not there's coordination between all these big tech companies. And, um, you know, in other words, a complaint that they're all coordinating. You know, I call it the media mob, big tech candidate protection program because they let joe hide in his basement never answer any questions they were fine with it and then of course go with all things anti-trump you don't question it any conservative makes a post or whatever then oh it's a big deal you know i mean i don't our buddy dan bongino good friend of mine you know he's a part of this group parlor which is an alternative to twitter we talked about it yesterday by the way if you're on twitter and you want to build up your parlor follows just every time you tweet something on twitter tweet it at parlor until eventually you just walk away from twitter it's that simple you know linda knows more about rumble than i do because i don't have access to any social media so it really doesn't matter in my case but as an alternative to youtube right yeah i mean youtube is censoring just as badly as all the other platforms i mean they're all in it together and so finally we're getting these alternatives and and bongino to his credit is working with both rumble and Poiler, and they're he, by awesome. Way, he told yeah. me about this a long time ago. Yeah, he's been way ahead of the game. He's been way always. ahead of the curve, mm-hmm. and I give I give all props to him. He's been yeah. way ahead. He's terrific. And so they've got a great CEO there. His name is Chris. And uh, we've been talking to Chris, and he's like, listen, he's like, you know, you guys are running a great show. We need to get the message out, and Rumble wants to be a part of that message. And so if you want to see so what they're the actually, they, they'll doing, let us put our content up there. Yes, exactly. And let people mm-hmm. decide if they want to watch, listen themselves. Right. And let them understand that the this is the media that you're not getting from your mainstream because they're deciding what you're allowed to hear and what you're allowed to watch and listen to. We're not doing that. We're going to give you everything as it is. And Rumble and Parler are going to be those platforms to allow us to do it and get it to the American public. Well, I mean, I uh, look, we now anything that we that you guys post, because I have no access on mm-hmm, Twitter welcome. is also posted on Parler. Right. Right. What is so the we're alternative to Facebook now? Do we have one of those? I don't know that there is an active one yet for Facebook. You know, Facebook one. has has a lot of intellectual property, um, so that's going to be that's going to be a little bit more difficult. But I have no doubt that eventually that monopoly will also fall. Well, I mean, I think this is what's going to make all the difference. But the and video you, content think, that you could get on Facebook, you can now get on Rumble. R U M B L E. You can get all of the same thing. 100%. Everything that you'd otherwise get on YouTube. So I use YouTube if they're not That's if right. they edit conservatives. Do exactly. they edit conservatives? They do not. I'm I'm asking about YouTube. Oh, YouTube. Forget about it. It's the worst. Forget about it. Forget it's about awful. it. I mean, anything. If you say anything that disagrees with the liberal MSM, they're going to shut you down. That's it. They will find a reason to fact check you. Put a false flag. Put a you know um, some uh, any kind of label that they can put on you. They will, and you have to fight it. Um, by the way, side note here, I know Thanksgiving is next week. This is becoming a bit problematic because you got the rise in COVID in a lot of states. 
thank God we've got these two vaccines on the horizon. It's going to make, you know, don't we all want normalcy? I mean, there's definitely been a huge spike, I know, uh, in New York and Brooklyn in particular. Long Island, I guess, is getting a spike now, according to my friends. And uh, anyway, they're happening pretty, you know, around the country. And I, you know, the the worst part is, is like, and this is the strangest part of, of coronavirus. Now, first, you got to stand back and say, OK, it was January 21st this year, the first identified case of corona in America. The fact that we now have not one, but two vaccines now getting ready for distribution and use. And they're going to speed that up as per Operation Warp Speed. It's a tribute to the president. He'll never get credit from the mob. It's a tribute to his team around him. It's a credit to medical researchers, virologists, scientists, everybody. Now, we can sit here and argue that they got a lot wrong and the models were wrong and the predictions were wrong and wear a mask, don't wear a mask, wear the mask, don't, you know, back and forth. I don't think anybody acted. My, my take is I don't think people really acted with malice. I think there was a, just a lot you didn't know. I think Trump building the hospitals, sending the Navy hospital ships, getting the PPE, never running out of ventilators, gloves and shields and masks and gowns was a, a feat. That's because the rest of the country didn't shut down and medical manufacturing equipment places all across the country. They stayed open, even though COVID existed there, too, and and kept those areas that were hardest hit, you know, up and running. Just like food, the whole food supply chain from farmers to ranchers to truckers to packers, you know, they all got the job done and they kept everybody eating and maybe you run out of toilet paper. By the way, there's another huge run on toilet paper again around the country. Good grief. What is it with people in the toilet paper thing? Maybe I should have invested in Charmin. Squeeze the Charmin. Um, But anyway, so now this gets complicated in two separate ways. And this is like the difference in governing philosophies. Now, do I think you ought to take COVID seriously? Yeah, we lost, you know, 240,000 people. There were estimates we were going to lose two and a half million people at one point. Um, Is it still dangerous? Of course it is. Have there been certain things that we've all learned? Yep, we've learned a lot. One of the things I could, I'll never wrap my mind around is and I'm not, again, this isn't my medical profession. I'm just what I've learned. And I've interviewed so many different people, both on radio and TV over this is, you know, how is it H1N1 or N1H1 as Joe calls it, got it mixed up as usual. How is it that that impacted children disproportionately, younger people disproportionately? Thank God it wasn't as lethal as, as coronavirus and not old people as much. Now, how is it possible that with coronavirus, okay, the people that are most at risk are older people, especially those over 70 with pre-existing conditions, underlying health issues, compromised immune systems, et cetera. I mean, that, that, that was the one thing that we, we did tend to get right. And probably the biggest area of success was like a state like Florida, because that's where Governor DeSantis honed in. And people are criticizing him. I noticed yesterday, well, he's still staying open. Okay, but the the measures that have been put in place in the beginning for nursing homes, long-term care facilities, communities like the villages down in Florida, you know, they remain in in effect. 
And they've been really, really fortunate because they protected the elderly population. New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Michigan didn't do that. It was a big mistake. Do I think they did it on purpose? No, I don't. I'm just giving you my honest answer. I, I, I don't think people would do that. I just I have a heart. There's evil, but you'd have to be really evil. And I don't think that's the case. I just think people didn't know. And I think people made dumb decisions. So they didn't think them through. But anyway, putting that aside. So now we find ourselves with this convergence here. Now we got next week Thanksgiving. Now we, I love watching Governor Newsom. They just released pictures of him at this huge table at a restaurant packed. They're like, you know, touching elbows on each side after he's telling the people in California that they've, you know, all the restrictions that he's putting on out in California. And meanwhile, he's out at the restaurant. California legislators, did you hear about this, London? They're going to Hawaii on vacation, but other people can't even have Thanksgiving dinner. Oh, yeah, but they're going to be uh, socially distanced the whole time and wear masks, and uh, it's going to be great. Oh, my gosh, right? The whole time. It's fake news. Um, you know, so, but here's the problem now. Young people, a lot of college kids are coming home for Thanksgiving. Now the young kids coming home from college, some campuses more than others, they've had bigger breakouts here, there, or they'd become a hot spot, and then it would kind of die down. And I, you know, because kids, there's a lot of college age kids, if they get it, and I know from my own kids' friends that they're not getting sick. I mean, at best, maybe they have symptoms for like a day. That's the worst I've heard um, to, in terms of their, their circle of friends. And so they're coming home. They probably wouldn't even know that they had it. Now they're going into a situation where they're with grandma and grandpa and mom and dad. And through no fault of their own, they don't know if they have it. And now they're trying to put all these guidelines in in place. Now, this is where you begin to get into, you know, what is everybody's appetite for risk? Because I think it differs from person to person. Like there, there are people that would never ride a motorcycle. I like motorcycles. I don't mind riding a motorcycle. Um, but there are people that don't want to ride a motorcycle because they think it's too dangerous. Okay, that you you factor in your appetite for risk. And now the same with health issues. So, I, you know, the thing I would say to younger people is, you know, you got to really think about grandma and grandpa. If you're going to see them, you got to think about mom and dad if you're going to see them. And, and I think if you appeal to people that way, the majority of people, are, I think, were, are genuinely good people, and they'll take the necessary steps to protect their loved ones. I mean, I wouldn't want to live with having given this to somebody. You know, you, you take the, the, the extra protections that you take. I mean, we take tons of them here on this program and tons of them on TV. Um, Linda, I haven't seen Linda in forever. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we... We literally have, you know, Listen, created... Listen, if you want more FaceTime, I can definitely start to Zoom you and FaceTime you as often as you like. Okay, you I did one Zoom know. call throughout this whole period. I'm not going to start now. No, we did a bunch during the book tour. We got some no, good that's ones true. in there. Which, by the way, I was shocked at how easy it was, but I had somebody else set it up for me. But yeah, then you get the me, Orwellian but, okay. nightmare. Well, if you... Now, what if it's 20 degrees in New York? They're saying, yeah, have your Thanksgiving dinner outside. I don't think that's going to be possible. I only have one person in the cooking area at a time. So 
I'm not going to tell people what to do or not do. I urge people to be cautious. You know, Linda, you think I'm nuts on my belief on masks on a lot of things. And my 100%. belief. Um, but I mean, you know, you've been protecting both your mom and your dad during all of this. And you've done a great job. Well, I don't know what you consider, though, to be protecting, but, you know. Well, they, they both haven't gotten it, have they? That's correct. But I also have them on selenium, zinc, tonic water. Right. And I have them which boosting you put their me vitamin on. C's, which I put you on. Except and everybody tonic should water, be on it because it keeps you healthy. It makes me want to puke. So put uh, some vodka in it. That's they still purify the system. I got to bury the taste with something else here. (laughs) Um, Anyway, so but if you watch it, and what really is frightening is this talk about shutting down the country again. I don't think this economy can take it. I really don't. You know, I'm like for example, they have this so stupid policy in New York where, okay, you can't have indoor dining. So the restaurants in New York, they're not stupid. They want business. They want to work. Waiters want to work. Cooks want to cook. You know, everybody wants these business owners invested their soul in their business. So they build tents. Then they put heaters in the tents. Then they cover the tents. Well, that's an indoor space outdoors. And somehow that's okay. Right. But this isn't about protecting the public. This is about disabling the economy and creating a dependency on the government, which is what Mm -hmm. they want. Well, look, there's been 11.4 million cases uh, reported that we have 240,000. Uh, to me, one death is too many. What are you going to do in Los Angeles where they're implementing a curfew 10 p.m. to 6 a.m.? How's that going to work out out there? In Oregon, you know, if you gather in numbers of more than six, they might arrest you and give you 30 days in jail. I mean, at the end of the day, people have to choose and make decisions for their own life you give them all the information they can you can't what are we gonna it's like people being chased down the aisle of supermarket stores because they're in there without a mask now by the way stores have a right to say you got to wear a mask or you can't come in anyway i'm not i don't have all the answers for it i urge people to be cautious it's not a big now that we've got the vaccines it's pretty close and it would really suck if you got it last minute just before they're ready to, you know, give this to everybody that needs it. Uh, eight, we'll get into that later because Linda thinks I'm nuts that I get a flu shot. She thinks I'm nuts that I said, yeah, I'd take the vaccine in a heartbeat. Absolutely. Just to get it out of my head. All right, hour two, Sean Hannity Show. Glad you're with us. 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program uh, well, with all that we've been through and all that we just went over and covered in, in terms of what's going on, especially in the state of Georgia, oh, 2,700 ballots here, 2,600 ballots here, another 284 ballots in Walton County. Reports all day have been, been coming my way that there's even more coming, waiting for that to come in. Newt Gingrich, former Speaker of the House, he wrote the bestseller Trump in the American Future. Uh, he's been watching all of this very, very closely. And I, I thought your comments on TV last night were dead on accurate. How are you, sir? Well, I'm doing great. And uh, we just finished doing a podcast with some key people out in Nevada. And, and when people hear this at Gingrich 360, they're going to get blown away. As bad as Georgia is, Nevada is 100 times worse. I mean, we do not understand, as Americans, the level of corruption which has entered into our political system. 
It's just, I mean, I'm, I have to tell you, you've known me a long time, Sean. I am blown away by how sick the system got and how deliberately the Democrats are willing to go out, undermine the Constitution, cheat their fellow Americans, and simply break the law. It's, it's astonishing. I just got a note from a friend of mine. I think enough things went wrong in Georgia to justify legislative and legal action. Uh, you know, now we had a 9,000 vote swing, apparently, you know, to, to Biden because they wrote down the wrong number. This was, I believe, in Fulton County. But, you know, I'm looking at all of this and we'll get to the Nevada thing in a second. I want to get up to the speed on that. You saw what happened in, in Michigan last night in Wayne County. But they're finding which we're two weeks plus out now. How are they finding not not five ballots, 10 ballots, thousands? How does that happen? And how does anybody trust it? And how does anybody have faith in the ultimate result here? Look, nobody should have any faith in any of this until we until we completely clear up the system. And this, and frankly, I mean, I've, the, as you know, I've spent the last couple of weeks deeply immersed. Uh, communicating with people all over the country, talking to some of the smartest people from MIT and Carnegie Mellon and what have you. Uh, this is so corrupt. Nothing since the peak of Tammany Hall, uh, which was the epitome of corruption in New York, nothing has been comparable to this. Uh, and so you start with that notion and you realize that and you mentioned briefly the, what happened in Wayne County. People need to think about this. They had a meeting. There were four election supervisors. The two Republicans voted not to certify, so it was tied two to two. And for several hours, the mob attacked them, called them racist, intimidated them. There are lawyers who are being told, if you work for Trump, we're going to destroy your career. I mean... You're looking at mob rule in a, in a Nazi quality, just physical intimidation that is, frankly, if you'd asked me five years ago, I would have said this is impossible. We will not degenerate to this level of violence and this level of intimidation in my lifetime. And I would have been wrong because the truth is we're right at the crossroads. Georgia clearly went for Donald Trump. And only the timidity of the governor, the cowardice of the secretary of state, and the passivity of the state legislature is allowing it to happen. Because the fact is, if any of those three were to step in, it would be over tonight or tomorrow morning. It is so blatantly obvious what, they, what the Democrats have been doing. Then why won't the you, – look, you're from Georgia. 1994 – Election Day, I was your MC at your big event at the, the Cobb Gallery, I believe. Uh, that's I'm getting old. But I was the MC that night. <laughs> it, and, and I lost my that's voice, true. but I still oh, did my radio true. show the next morning. Now, my question to you is, you know, time is of the essence here. They've got to be done with this tonight at midnight. The governor, there's been more calls for the governor to step in. He won't. Secretary of State is too busy picking fights with Doug Collins and Lindsey Graham, making wild, false accusations. Uh, other people on the line said he's just in insinuations. 
So ballots keep coming in. So the bottom line is, yours, and this is just true, we will never be able to have faith in the ultimate outcome of this. You just can't. Well, that's right. And until it's cleaned up, it's going to always be a tainted election. But look, I would say to every person in Georgia who favors Donald J. Trump, go to the governor's mansion physically. Go to the Capitol physically. Communicate that you're prepared to stand up for America and you're prepared to stand up for an honest election and that you are sick of politicians selling you out. And I believe that's what's been going on. And I, well, I by Friday, um, I hear the governor will certify this thing, and the secretary of well, state. Then, 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 frankly, then, frankly, they should beat both of them in the next primary. But between now and then, they should challenge the state legislature. Call yourselves in the session. Don't wait for the governor. Don't hide somewhere. The 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 lieutenant governor, who's president of the Georgia Senate, and the speaker of the House, and should call themselves into session. Georgia has a long and colorful history of these kind of things, and just say we're fed up. I don't think we should allow people who are either corrupt or gutless, you take your choice, uh, to allow the presidency of the United States to be stolen because they're too passive, they're hiding, they're not willing to stand up for what's right. And I, I must say, as some literally, as you know, my career began in Georgia back in 1960 when I was a high school student. I mean, I didn't work my entire lifetime to create a Republican Party whose senior leadership would not have the courage to stand up and fight for uh, what's right in America. And what we're seeing right now is just, I think, absolutely intolerable. We've got these two runoff elections at January 5th. By the way, big controversy has emerged today because uh, the candidate, uh, Warnock, apparently this calls for him to drop out of the race because apparently he gave a, t- a sermon uh, when truth meets power uh, and said, America, nobody can serve God and the U.S. military. Wow. That's pretty radical. Look, I, I think this is pretty straightforward. If, if you believe that Fidel Castro is our future, then Warnock's your candidate. Uh, if you believe that radical left-wing extremism is your future, then Warnock's your candidate. If you believe that anti-white racism is your future, then Warnock's your candidate. I mean, let's just you know, let's just be honest about what's at stake. The Democrats have nominated two people: Asif, who is essentially a Hollywood, uh, Silicon Valley, New York invention has no real roots in Georgia, no real understanding of Georgia, spends more time raising money in Hollywood than he does in South Georgia. And Warnock, who has proven, if you look at his various uh, uh, sermons over the years, he is a hardline, anti-white, left-wing radical uh, who doesn't like America and is prepared to condemn the rest of us. Now, the only hope the Democrats have, and I want to give... Stacey Abrams, some credit here. She has built a machine, and she is tough, and she's intimidated the governor, and she's intimidated the secretary of state. And the only hope the Democrats have is to steal the election because they will lose the campaign. I mean, as people learn more and more about Warnock and Ossoff, they will collapse. But the Democrats' hope is 
to get enough people to vote and to steal enough votes that they can win no matter what happens in the campaign. And that's the whole story of the next 60 days. So now you got Thanksgiving coming up next week. Then you got the run up to Christmas. A lot of people go on vacation for Christmas or New Year's week, right? Then you're back on Monday and then Tuesday's the election. I don't like the, the date of this or the time of this. Um, every indication is, you know, the governor and the secretary of state have no intention whatsoever of, of stopping this. And yet there's so much hinging on this race. I mean, it's, you know, if you listen, for example, to Chuck Schumer, you know, everything's on the table and including court packing and maybe getting rid of the electoral college and DC statehood, et cetera. Look, I, I thought as a Georgian that his formulation was perfect for anybody who wants to defeat the two Democrats, when he said, first, we take Georgia. Now, I think the idea of the average Georgian, of some New York liberal describing taking Georgia, that's the essence of it. Vote Warnock and let Schumer take Georgia. Vote Ossoff and let Schumer take Georgia. I don't think the average Georgian wants to be taken. I think they want somebody much like, uh, frankly, uh, Senator Perdue, who's actually been out there every day for six years, serving the people in every single county. He's been in more counties than Asif has done fundraisers in Hollywood. I mean, it's kind of amazing. I think that the Kelly Loeffler proved in the last six months she's been a solid conservative. She's been solid for the president. The gap between Perdue and Loeffler on the one side and Warnick and Asif on the other side has to be the biggest gap in American senatorial history. I personally think the only hope the Democrats have is to steal it, but they proved to us in the last few weeks they're pretty good at stealing. And if Stacey Abrams get a shot at it, she is going to steal the two Senate seats. What is the Republican Party in Georgia? You, you still have all your friends and contacts there. What are they now doing to combat this? I mean, you're right. Stacey Abrams, you got to give her credit. She organized. She's bragging she has over 600,000 requests for mail-in ballots already, which is, again, you know, where we get into a lot of these problems. So are the Republicans going to match that effort? Do they have the ability in the short period of time to mobilize and counter that? Sure, but it's more than maxing that effort. What you got to understand is, unless you control the identity of the people who get absentee ballots, which under the current rules they have to do on the way out. So when somebody applies, there's got to be a Republican there looking to say, is this, is this signature valid? Is this address valid? And you got to do that before they send the, uh, the ballot out there. I mean, I think in that sense, my, my, I just say this based on talking to lots of people, my sense is that except for the governor and the secretary of state, the rest of the party gets it. I mean, you have a huge number of people in Georgia who are totally committed to winning this thing, but their problem is that, that Governor Kemp is hiding in the basement sucking his thumb, and the Secretary of State has sold out totally to Stacey Abrams. And so the two people who ought to be doing the job of protecting Georgia have frankly totally caved. Unbelievable. You know, it's, it's just hard to watch all of this. And at the end of the day, every, you know, 72, 3 million people that voted for Donald Trump, you know, yeah. by, by the thinnest of margins, yeah. 
and obvious you know things that have gone wrong in multiple states what they get away with it is that the end result look look i gotta tell you as an old friend as you pointed out we go back a long way i first campaigned in georgia as a high school student in 1960 when my dad was stationed at fort benning i have been involved in that state for 60 years the idea that we would win virtually everything we have the legislature the congress the senators the governor the Secretary of State, and we would end up with two guys so totally incapable, whether because of cowardice or for whatever reason, of doing their job. I, I just can't quite imagine that. I mean, I am actually dumbfounded at how we walked into this particular trap. Well, I, and I will tell you, I don't think Kemp is the governor without Donald Trump's support. Pretty amazing. Uh, Speaker, Former Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich, will keep an eye on it. Thanks for joining us. All right, Leonard Skinner, simple man that can only mean one thing, all things BillOReilly.com. Bill claims to be a simple man. I think he's complicated. <laughs> Mr. O'Reilly, sir, by the way, congrats again on your uh, best-selling book, still on the New York Times list, I see. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, and that's thanks to you. I appreciate uh, Plug's Hannity. Very nice of you, and I think you actually... It's not thanks to me. You wrote... you. This is number 15 in your Killing series. Killing Hannity, I think, will be number 20. And yeah, We're um, working on it. We're, we, we've got to get you <laughs> in a very grisly situation, you know, and it's just not going to be a good for you. I can see it. Well, Bill O'Reilly, simple man. Now, look, you and I have covered a lot of elections over the years, right? And here I, we are. I, I now. started with Jimmy Carter way back right. in 1976. My, my interest started with Ronald Reagan as president. You're just a little bit older than me and um, better looking, of course. Uh, but now, uh, let's see. So far, yesterday, we had 2,700 brand new votes from Georgia. The day before, we had another 2,600 brand new votes in Georgia. Um. I'm watching everything here. All these other states get it perfect. No, no integrity issues, full faith, confidence in the results. You get the results election night. And then all the states that seem to matter, Bill O'Reilly, simple man, you know, we have all these problems. Is that a coincidence? Well, they're all uh, states where uh, strongholds are run by Democrats. Now, Georgia, not a Democrat state per se, but certain certainly Fulton County, Atlanta, where the majority of Biden votes were cast, uh, is. So, I mean, look, you can make a circumstantial case, and I think that it's worthy to consider that there was massive voter fraud this time around, because the Democrats were very worried that Trump would win, obviously. And I don't mind the president not conceding. I, I don't think he should, if he believes that uh, the uh, entire vote was tainted. We all should know it. But time's running out. Tonight is the end of the Georgia recount. From what I understand, Biden still leads by about 12,000 votes. I don't we've know. Had, but, if, Bill, we've uh, had three counties in three days now discover thousands of votes in Georgia. Right. Now, right. count me skeptical. How do we ever have any faith and integrity in that system if two weeks, over two weeks now after Election Day, we're still finding ballots, Bill? There's something, there's something that stinks to high heaven. I think the situation is actually worse in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Georgia, 
I mean, he got uh, 10 million votes, I guess, and, uh, you know, some rural counties. Uh, I, you know, you, wanna every, you want every vote to be accurate. But Pennsylvania, the Philadelphia thing really bothers me. Because, remember, Trump was up by 600,000 on election night. And then I, th- I, had a, I said, oh, he's got it. He's got it locked. I had my little chart. Bang. Trump wins Pennsylvania. And my prediction was whoever wins the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania becomes president. So I was taking a keen interest. And then the next day, all of a sudden, uh, Biden's ahead by 45,000. So I've called for um, the Trump administration, and I think they should do this, to hire the best analytics firm in the world to go in and calculate the odds of that happening. And not only there, but Detroit, Milwaukee, Clark County, Nevada. Bring the analytics guys in. Take a look at the raw vote totals. Compare them to four years ago. And give me a percentage. Is it a 2% chance? That a 600,000 vote margin can be overturned? Is it 10? I think if you start to do that fact-based stuff, that the electorate will then say, all right, we've got to take a closer look at this. But we only have really three weeks before the vote is supposed to be certified. Let me throw something else at you, because I, and I did not know this until like the next day or the day after election day, I went and I said, let me go look up what the election laws are in every state. The one common thing, and it's written into the statutory language of all these states, that partisan observers, the word partisan, Bill, are allowed to watch all of the counting of the votes from start to finish. Then you have, in in one county in Michigan, 234 affidavits signed by people under the threat of perjury. That That's meaningful to me. It's not five or ten. Uh, I don't think people would perjure themselves because of a political view. Maybe a few, but not hundreds. Then you look at all of these states. They did not allow any viewing. Some people 100 feet away, 20 feet away, even if you're six feet away. Now, they knew that they were going to have to make accommodations ahead of time for social distancing and COVID. That could have been done quite easily. The people opening the ballot here, I want you guys to see Republican, Democrat, I'm opening the ballot. I'm putting the ballot over here. You guys can inspect it and sign off on it or not sign off on it. Put a question mark on it, whatever you want to do. Um, That didn't happen in any of those states, Bill. And to me, that then goes to the issue of integrity and how to again how do we walk away from this process believing the result i'm having a hard time getting to the point where i think americans 73 million americans that voted for trump are going to get there well the poll out today says 78 percent who voted for trump believe the election was fraudulent to some degree pennsylvania supreme court as you know and reported um they Rule 5 to 2, that the distancing problem with the observers does not rise to the level where they're going to take any action. And I think that will play through. Do you think that's fair? But forget about what the court said. No, but you have to understand that we're dealing with human beings here. And Pennsylvania does not want to admit to the country that it screwed up. And what I worry about is that the Supreme Court, there's one more action in Pennsylvania that could mean something here, and that is the votes counted after Election Day in violation of the Commonwealth's voting law. 
I think that's going to go to the Supreme Court. The problem with it is that the nine justices understand if they put a stay on the election, there's going to be violence, mass violence in this country. And they know that. And they're human beings. Now, does that justify not doing the right thing? It does not. If I'm a Supreme Court justice, I do the right thing according to the Constitution, even if I know it's going to cause violence, which it will. So I'm not convinced that the Supreme Court isn't going to take that into consideration when looking at Pennsylvania. Because I think that's a fair analysis, but, but you're... The Pennsylvania electoral votes are going to be taken away from Joe Biden until we can sort this thing out, and that would delay the certification of the election. It just is, you know, look at the other case now we have out in Clark County. You mentioned Nevada. Uh, I'm told that apparently there's there's an unfolding story in Wisconsin. We'll wait and see. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself on it. You know, and one other thing that really kind of shocked me is in 2019, the state of Texas, not once but twice, rejected the software. All Georgia's 159 counties use this software, Dominion we're talking about, um, and they had had problems during the primary. The New York Times wrote extensively the problems they had with it. The AP wrote about it. You have a, believe it or not, a voting machine professor at Princeton, tenured professor. He had a lot of problems with it. Um, and I'm just wondering if you have liberals and conservatives both on record not saying this is not a good system. How come 28 states used it, Bill? And I don't know if anything went wrong. I'm not even suggesting but they obviously had problems in the primary in Georgia. Now they're finding all these votes. I'm suspicious. How's that? Is that a fair statement? And you should be. And all Americans should be very disenchanted yep. about how this election was conducted. I, everybody. Uh, because you think Democrats want more chaos, or do they want to fix it? I would argue they want more mail-in ballots, more confusion. So, and I would say, even I'll quote the New York Times again, they say mail-in balloting lends itself to potential fraud. Of course it does. It's much easier to uh, throw stuff away when it's mailed in. You can't throw stuff when, it, when you pull a curtain and pull a lever like I did here on Long Island, and I think you did too. Um, you can't. But you mail something in, somebody could throw it in the garbage. It's not hard to do that, particularly if it comes from a Republican county. So, but, but I'm a realist, and I believe that we Americans should demand that Congress impose standards on the states for elections going forward. But in this election now, it's going to be very tough for Donald Trump to prevail. It's going to be, and I, I just telling your audience, you know, I'm a simple man, but I'm also a straightforward, honest man. And it's going to be very, very. Everybody hard. sees it now. Maybe twenty-one. I will tell you that it is. You know, we're the United States of America, Bill O'Reilly, and you know what we send. You know, how long ago do we send people to the moon and come back? That's a pretty bold endeavor, wouldn't you say? And if we could do that, Bill O'Reilly, I am convinced. If states like Florida can straighten out their system, and Ohio can straighten out their system, and all the other states can get this right. We've got to demand that we have checks and balances and security in the ballot. And right now, 
I don't think anybody leaves this process with any sense that this was a fair election based on all that we know now. Well, the only way that is corrected is if Mitch McConnell, right after uh, the Senate comes back in January, introduces a bill, the fair election bill, and says that all 50 states, you can still oversee your election, but you have to abide by these tenants. And they're listed. And, you know, that would be fascinating. We'll see how many Democrats vote for that, because I think almost every Republican would. Almost every Republican senator would vote for that bill. Let's see how many Democrats would. Yeah? That's what Mitch McConnell should do, because that's the only way it's going to get fixed. There are certain states that are simply not going to do what they should do. Um, You know, we have all this stuff. Now we have two companies. And how great is it, by the way, Bill O'Reilly, that these are American companies, American endeavors, Pfizer, Moderna, and we now have the vaccine for coronavirus. And Operation Warp Speed certainly did it. Cuomo's out there blaming drug companies and President Trump for getting to speedy vaccines. I'm like, oh, is that a bad thing? You know, this was a very, very impressive achievement by the Trump administration. Yet I've seen scant, word of the day, scant coverage of it. And then Pfizer, those pinheads, um, they don't announce it until after the vote when they had it before the vote. And again, Americans are sitting there going, you know, give me a break, please. Do we have to have this kind of polarization even on a vaccine? Are you going to take the vaccine, Hattie, when it comes out? I am. Are you? I would. And this is a big argument we have with Linda, but I would in a heartbeat, yes. All right, I'm going to take it. And I, because I don't. I tell you what, why don't you take it first and then you report back to us and then I'll follow you. uh, But I want to give you my reason. I don't care if I turn into a zombie. It doesn't matter to me because then I don't have to pay a lot of taxes. I just oh, you'll have an excuse not people. to pay. Yeah. Um, so if I turn into a zombie, that's all right with me. So I'll be first online. I listen. I have faith in the medical researchers and and those that you know. There are people, Bill. This is pretty fascinating. Different, obviously, than the things we do. That devote their entire lives to viruses. And they've never broken down the sequence of a virus this quickly. January twenty-first uh, this year was the first identified case. What a what a hell of a year this has been! Earlier and now we have the vaccine. We have two vaccines. Earlier, you talked about going to the moon. This is this achievement rivals that. And 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 I'll just say one more thing about it because it's so impressive to me, who knows nothing about medical science. I know nothing. Where are the other countries in the world? They're not close. No one is close. They're waiting for us. Once again, America, once again, we come to the rescue of the world. Where is that story? Where is that story? But, Bill, you're talking about American greatness and American exceptionalism. That's out of fashion, apparently, and gets you in trouble with the woke crowd. But, all right, all things for Bill O'Reilly at uh, BillOReilly.com, sir. Simple man, thank you very much for being with us. Happy and Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to you and yours. You're going to be having are you going to be following social distancing mask guidelines and hiding out in your basement bunker or what? No, I'm going to be throwing pie at people <laughs> as they walk That's by your I'm house. Doing. Yep. All right. 
Stay right here for our final news roundup and information overload in the final hour of the Sean Hannity Show. All right, news roundup, information overload hour. Josh Hawley was amazing grilling uh, Zuckerberg. I mean, all these guys are actually amazing. Asking uh, Facebook CEO Zuckerberg uh, if they coordinate content moderation with Google and Twitter. Listen to this. In recent days, my office was contacted by a Facebook whistleblower, a former employee of the company, with direct knowledge of the company's content moderation practices. And I want to start by talking about an internal platform called Tasks that Facebook uses to coordinate projects, including censorship. The Tasks platform allows Facebook employees to communicate about projects they're working on together. That includes Facebook censorship teams, including the so-called community well-being team, the integrity team, and the hate speech engineering team, who all use the task platform to discuss which individuals or hashtags or websites to ban. Now, Mr. Zuckerberg, you're familiar with the task platform, aren't you? Uh, Senator, uh, we use the the task system for, um, I I think it's, as you say, for people coordinating all kinds of uh, work across the company, although I'm not sure if I'd agree with the characterization specifically um, around content moderation that you gave. Well, uh, let's get into that. Uh, And let me see if we can refresh your memory and, and provide folks at home watching with an example. What particularly intrigued me is that the platform reflects censorship input from Google and Twitter as well. So Facebook, as I understand it, Facebook censorship teams communicate with their counterparts at Twitter and Google and then enter those companies' suggestions for censorship onto the task platform so that Facebook can then follow up with them and effectively coordinate their censorship efforts. Well, I'm talking about content moderation. I'm talking about individuals, websites, hashtags, phrases to ban. Is it your testimony that you do not communicate with Twitter or Google about content moderation, about individuals, websites, phrases, hashtags, to ban just yes or no do you communicate with twitter or google about coordinating your policies in this way senator we do not coordinate our policies do your facebook content moderation teams communicate with their counterparts at twitter or google Uh, senator i'm not aware of anything specific but i I think it would be uh, probably pretty normal for people to talk to their their peers and colleagues in the industry uh, okay. Uh, talk to their peers and colleagues. They didn't answer the question. Are you coordinating? Now, I keep making the point that between the mob, the media, and big tech companies, wouldn't even let you read the New York Post story about Hunter Biden and the Biden family corruption scandal, which if it was Trump, I guarantee you it would have been all over these platforms. Then we got what I would call the media mob, big tech candidate protection program, which kind of allowed Biden to never talk, hide in his basement bunker and results in an incalculable amount of money in terms of a donation to all things Joe Biden, Democratic radical socialists, because they have an agenda. Now, Eric Eggers is here. He's the research director at Government Accountability Institute, author of the book Fraud, How the Left Plans to Steal the Next Election, by the way, published in August of 2018. And uh, by the way, and also producer of the Creepy Line, a documentary exposing the power of big tech uh, and what they have, that power over public opinion. Uh, Julie Kelly is a political commentator, senior contributor to American Greatness, author of uh, Disloyal Opposition, How the Never Trump Right Tried and Failed to Take Down the President. 
Uh, welcome both of you. Eric, uh, you, you have spent now years investigating this. You know, for those people that may not be as familiar with all of the terms, shadow banning, et cetera, et cetera, explain as, as simply as you can what we're talking about here. Well, what we're talking about, and it's such an important issue that you're raising, is the truly insidious nature of the influence that platforms like Google and Facebook have on us is we don't know what we're not seeing. And so when you have people like Senator Hawley, I think, raise these important issues, is that it's important that the American public have a sense of, you know, how much power these platforms have over shaping the thoughts and therefore behaviors of the American public. And so when you talk about something like shadow banning, it's essentially the active suppression of certain inputs, which, you know, through anecdotal evidence and through whistleblower testimony, tend to be disproportionately conservative. And thank goodness for the whistleblowers. That's the only reason why we even have sort of a peek behind the curtain. When we produced the film The Creepy Line, we had active monitoring in real time of the impact that some of Google and Facebook's behavior had on the election preferences in 2016. Who knows what we'll find out uh, happened in 2020, but because of examples like the Hunter Biden story, I think we have a really strong idea of what happened. Yeah, and your take on it, Julie uh, Kelly, because, I mean, right there, if if they're going to now decide and determine what information the American people can see and they show their political bias every time, well, number one, I think conservatives need to just, you know, pack up and walk and find other platforms like Parler and Rumble and other places where they're not going to be censored this way. And secondly, I mean, they have the Section 230 protection against liability, which media companies have. Why that hasn't been stripped already, I don't know. <laughs> well, that's a good question. I'm not sure why. You know, we have more hearings, which is great, and it's good to expose these people. But the bottom line is the Senate really didn't take any action, although they made several threats against big tech for years. Um, but we know that Mark Zuckerberg is lying. <laughs> First of all, his lips are moving. But second of all, Twitter, Google, and Facebook, a few months ago, with their policies, made it very clear how they were going to censor conservative commentators and conservative content, how they were going to flag the president when he talked about mail-in voting, how Google was going to suppress their automatic search buttons about voter fraud. So they were, they've been collaborating for months on this before the election and afterwards. So to have him sit there and act like, what their colleagues, they're just that, what, a French laundry dinner at, you know, colleagues are talking about just their uh, their latest business plan. I mean, it's folly. Um, but unfortunately, Sean, uh, you know, again, the Senate Republicans really did not take action against these companies when they had the power to do so. Did you get any impression, Eric, watching this testimony yesterday? Because they were pressing these guys pretty hard about coordination and whether or not, in fact, they do what we know that they do, and that's editing content, uh, that, in fact, they seem to be hedging. And, of course, I guess everybody from other companies talk to each other. Uh, it seemed like he was looking to, uh, for a way to thread the needle, in that case, Zuckerberg, uh, on whether or not they, there is coordination. Yeah, I think it's a great point, right? I think, if nothing else, um, the idea that I think we're, that Americans are starting to wake up to, and, and I agree with everything Julie said about maybe the lack of action that was taken by the Senate yesterday, 
But if nothing else, I think what people are realizing is, the, you know, we, just as you and I, Sean, have physical selves, right, that you take care of your body, you work out, you eat healthy, that's how you take care of your physical selves. We have digital selves also, and people are realizing the impact that these companies, they have so many data points on it, they make so much money off of our information, and they're actively shaping the, our behavior. I mean, think about the point Julie just raised. Their suppression over any reasonable questions that were being raised about the integrity and accuracy of American elections were flagged and actively suppressed when more and more evidence comes up that demand hard answers. But these tools now of, I think, the Democratic platform are keeping people from being able to pursue what I think is vital to American democracy, and that's confidence in the outcome of the election. So, no, it's a very important role that they play, and I think you're right, because conservatives don't want to be active kind of regulators of business, but I think they're starting to realize that the stakes are getting so high they may not have any choice. Tie this into the book that you wrote in 2018 about fraud, how the left plans to steal the next election. Do you see a lot of what you predicted that it came true in this election cycle? Well, one of the things that I talk about, and I very much appreciate you continue to give me credit uh, for, you know, having written it a couple years ago, but, you know, it's not a secret that mail-in balloting or absentee voting is by far the form of voting that's the most susceptible to fraud. And by the so way, you know you- who backs you up on that, Eric? The New York Times. Well, that's always nice to have company of such media elites, other than you, of course. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. so uh, so when, so when, thank you. So then, so this is not a, a bipartisan, you know, this is not a partisan question. Everybody knows that absentee balloting is the most susceptible form of voting to fraud. So when the pandemic occurred and states went all in, uh, either because they're going to mail ballots unsolicitedly or you're going to have just a massive increase in the number of ballots that are coming via the mail, and the systems proved in the primary that they're ill-equipped to be able to handle those in a secure and efficient fashion, um, you know, no one should be surprised when we saw all the stories that we had about ballots being misplaced and the delays in the counting and the documented evidence of double voting and lack of signature verification. I mean, past was truly prologue in this instance. So all those things are in the book. All those things are a regular feature of voting by mail. So it should surprise no one that we saw a dramatic increase in those as we saw a dramatic increase in mail-in balloting. You talk about, uh, Julie, this, this never-Trumper movement. And by the way, nobody, everybody doesn't have to agree with me. Um, the fact that some of, of the people involved in these varying groups claim to be conservative is a joke to me because they just supported it, uh, a guy that was more radically socialist left uh, with a stated agenda with Bernie Sanders, AOC and company. So I find that disingenuous. That part of it, I think, is just a crock. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, if you if if you look at Donald Trump's policies, over these last four years, they have been he has governed as the most conservative president, at least in my time, my lifetime. And so it really then comes down to what they don't like his style. They don't like his tweets. They don't like that. He fights. They they wish he was more presidential. And you're willing to accept, you know, a frail, weak, cognitively struggling leftist socialist, you know, partnering with Bernie Sanders and company. Uh, over that? Is that really the reason or does it run deeper? I think it's personal and professional. I mean, Sean, as I write about in my book, and we've talked about most of these never Trump outlets, especially Bill Crystal's and the Lincoln Project are heavily funded by Democrats and the left. So they don't have a conservative backing. Um, they've been wrong about Trump uh, from the beginning. You know, they said he wouldn't win the primary. He wouldn't win the general election. He wouldn't last his first year. 
Uh, Robert Mueller was going to haul him out in handcuffs. You go through the list, they've been wrong about everything. The one thing that they have been the most wrong about is that Donald Trump would destroy the Republican Party. This is what they said from 2015. Look at the House seats that the Republican Party is picking up. No one predicted this probably not even the Trump campaign, predicted that here we would be on the verge of flipping 12 seats already with more to come. In Reagan's landslide victory in 1984, Republicans picked up 16 House seats. We could come close to that. That's why this uh, overall election outcome doesn't make sense to people. But furthermore, Donald Trump has had... I guess somebody said, well, it's funny, he has no coat, but he has coattails because of all the victories for Republicans, not just in the House, but state legislatures as well. And so he has he has empowered the Republican Party. He's expanded uh, our base. And so the never Trumpers were wrong about that, too. And they just continue to have one temper tantrum after another, because at some point they have to recognize how wrong they are. And, um, you know, but the damage that they've helped contribute to this president, to this president, the Republican Party, and Republican rank and file voters, too. All right. I'm going to say thanks to both of you, Julie Kelly. Thank you. Eric Eggers, thank you. 800-941-SEAN, toll-free telephone number. You want to be a part of the program? All right, 800-941-SEAN is the number. Let's get to our busy phones here. David, down in the great state of Georgia. David, how are you? What the, What is going on in my, my southern state of Georgia here? What's going on? I don't know. It's some craziness going on. I'm seeing all these pockets of votes that they're finding that they weren't counting and missed numbers for, for uh, Biden. And it's driving me crazy. But what really gets me is, you know, can I give a quick shout out to my sister, Jen in Delaware, who's an incredible patriot? Mm-hmm. Um, sure. But I'm a, I'm a pretty angry former soldier, and uh, I was looking at the numbers, and it just doesn't make sense for me. Barack Obama was a phenomenon when he ran in 2008. He took 69 million votes. And when he ran again in 12, he took 65. I cannot buy that Joe Biden got 79 million votes. It's just hard for me to do that. But um, what I want to get into was the, thing, the first thing he said he was going to do when he gets into office, if he gets into office, is uh, get us back into the Paris Climate Accord. And I was hoping that maybe you could take a little bit of time um, on one of your shows and talk about how bad that is. Because from what I understand, we're the only ones, America's the only ones that are actually doing anything. Everyone else is going to just keep making emissions like they're making until they can't make any more and then level out. You know, it's funny because I saw Sean Davis, who, you know, has been on this program with the Federalist. Uh, he, had a, this, he had a tweet out today. Bush stole the election. Bush uh, was, you know, 9-11. He's responsible. He coordinated, lied about WMDs. Uh, Diebold stole the election for Bush. Trump, Russia, Russia, Trump. Kavanaugh, you know, he's guilty of being a rapist and and all these sexual assaults, violent riots. They tell us a really peaceful protest and everything else they say about Republicans. Donald Trump says, yeah, uh, I think that they they cheated. Oh, excuse me. As if they have this this high perch of what morality. And then look at all these votes weeks later still showing up in your home state. That's got to be frustrating everybody there frustrating it's frustrating me it's frustrating my neighbors it's frustrating everybody that i know and it's embarrassing that we're in 2020 and we can't get this right you know and then you got a republican governor and a republican secretary of state that seemingly have no desire to call attention to what's gone on down there and that idiotic consent decree i have no idea who this secretary of state is but he seems absolutely clueless to me 
Um, anyway, thanks, David. Hang in there. Hope we get an accurate count out of there one of these days. 800-941-SEAN, our number when we come back. Wide open phones and uh, your call straight ahead. All right, 25 till the top of the hour. 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of this extravaganza. So we've been having a big fight on this program about the, now that we have the two vaccines, uh, uh, more recently the Moderna one and Pfizer's announcement. One week well, earlier, and it would have been the Monday before Election Day. Now we have two American companies. Anyway, we were talking about it. And uh, Linda is dead set against these vaccines. Now, there is an update with New York Governor Cuomo on this. I guess he was on a morning show on Hot 97, a station in New York that does really well. And he said, another vaccine announced, this time by Moderna, 95% effective. And by the way, Trump had tweeted out, for those great historians, please remember these great discoveries, which will end the China plague, all took place on my watch. Anyway, so the host of the show goes asked Governor Cuomo if he'd spoken with people, including people who claim to be nurses and that they don't trust the vaccine and feel that it has been rushed. But no rush here. Once they broke down the sequence, then you have phase one, phase two, phase three human trials. And that it's a process. Anyway, so Cuomo then goes, the governor, said the vaccine was moving ahead so quickly because of money and ego, noting that the first drug company to get the vaccine will profit handsomely. By the way, who cares if people if people's lives are going to be saved because of medical researchers and scientists and the investment that these pharmaceutical companies make? I, I, they don't deserve to make money on saving lives. I think they do. Uh, you didn't need Trump to tell vaccine companies that you should develop the vaccine. No, actually, he allocated a fortune in money for a lot of this and for the development and production of and then distribution of the vaccine. And anyway, he surmised the president wanted to be able to save it, say it before leaving the White House. These drug companies aren't going to say it just because they, if anything, they probably knew the results weeks ago and they didn't want to get involved in the election. That would be the more likely scenario. Uh, he didn't do anything. It's the drug companies. Nobody's going to trust him saying it's a safe vaccine. Oh, okay. but you're not questioning him. You're questioning Pfizer and you're questioning Moderna. I'm not. After, you know, 30, 40,000 people did final phase human testing. And as again, at any point in this final trial, had people died from the vaccine that they were working on, if antibodies were not being created in people, if it was anything more than, you know, mild side effects, they would have stopped it because that's what the legal process is. Regardless, on this program, not everybody's as gung-ho as I am that wants to line up and get the vaccine like Linda. All right. Now, I want you to explain this, though, rationally, not crazy, Linda. Now, okay, sure. First of all, why would we start a conversation? Don't insult people when you ask them. I'm not insulting. Opinion. I just oh, no, no, I don't want all. you to. That's talk, not insulting. You, you know the line that I I don't want you to go to. So let's see how you dig yourself out of this hole. Yeah. I'm not digging is, is myself out of Is this going to be like the moment that you shushed want... me and you said that shushing all was right. OK? So why? Tell me. Would you would you ever get a vaccine for anything or are you get against all vaccines? No, I'm, I'm not. I'm not anti-vax. I just feel that when there is a vaccine that is considered 100 percent effective, they know exactly what they're targeting, they know exactly how to do it. Then, sure, that's great. For example, you know, like polio, smallpox, uh, hep B, hep A. These are all things that we've targeted, identified and, and we have the vaccines to cure them. 
But then we talk about, you know, the flu. It's like, well, we think we have 30% of the possible strains that might be a problem. So, yeah, you can get this. Put put all these flu strains in your body and maybe one of them will work to work against what might happen. Like that's a lot of maybes and what ifs. You know, like I'm not interested in that. I'm just not. And this vaccine. By the way, I understand that because you're right. On any given year, a a flu shot is 30 to 40 percent you know uh, uh accurate because it's it's sort of a guessing game what the what they do just to give a little background on this yes dr sean please a flu emerges in one part of the world so they're trying to end variations of flus and they try to determine what which of these that are emerging are going to ultimately be the flu that makes it to the united states so there is a certain amount of guesswork now as somebody that having taken the flu shot for many, many years with no side effects at all whatsoever. And I never get the flu. Um, um, It's helped me. Does it mean it will always help me? No, but I have faith. There's no way Pfizer, there's no way Moderna didn't check this thing through and through. Um, In my view, you have 30, 40,000 people, you know, part of this final phase human trial. But this trials. is a little bit different. So this is a little bit different, right? So there was a very, there were seven different strains of the COVID-19 strains. I think, I think there's a little bit of misunderstanding in the general public about what COVID actually is. You know, the coronavirus is not something new. So basically they're trying to identify what differentiated this from others. And there were people who got this, and like we've discussed many times, have been totally asymptomatic, and then there are other people who get lung embolisms. And so what I feel is missing in the conversation and what has been doxxed or considered you know, unappealing to the MSM is that there is a way that you can treat COVID-19 when caught early from early detection, when you start to lose smell, taste, when you're incredibly tired, your body doesn't feel right, right? You know when you're off. Everybody knows your body that's, doesn't feel that's right. That's what you the Henry what Ford study was all about. The earlier you start treating it, the better off you tend to do. And by the way, our two doctors yesterday, Dr. Umber and Dr. Risch, both said the same thing uh, that you're saying, just to, just to offer Correct. you medical support. Yes. And so there is a conversation that needs to happen about the fact that there are things that you can do to create a prophylactic for your body, whether that's zinc, whether that's drinking tonic water, which has 83 milligrams of quinine per eight ounce glass. All right, by the way, let me let me just advise the audience here. Linda is expressing just her opinion. This is my opinion. Linda Linda's opinion. Just my she's opinion. not a medical doctor. She's not offering you medical advice. We strongly advise you to go to your own doctor and in consultation with your doctor. But but I first but of all, right for the record, I said that it, yesterday when I gave my commentary. Listen, I said you should always Americans, check with your primary care physician. And I and for a part of my adult life. I didn't take fitness seriously and I gained a lot of weight and all that stuff. Now I, I take my health a lot more seriously. You know, I work out regularly and vigorously and I've lost weight and I'm keeping the weight off, which, by the way, is hard for me to do uh, because I love quarter pounders with cheese, French fries and Coke and pizza and Kentucky fried chicken and everything that I shouldn't eat. So, you know, but I discipline myself, so I don't do it. I think we can all do all of these things, but that doesn't stop you if you come in contact with a virus necessarily. Some people get it. Some people don't. Right. And And there's also a conversation that needs to be had. So let's say you get the virus. You don't know you have the virus. And then it starts to, you know, activate in your body and have some very serious complications. Okay, then you might be somebody who is a candidate for the vaccine only because you haven't been doing anything to take care of yourself. Your body is not ready. There are other people who could do all the right things and still get sick. But the vaccines to prevent you from contracting the virus. That's the whole point. 
But there are other things you can do to not contract the virus as well. Therapeutics, natural remedies, like I was saying before. I'm not sure that anyone's convinced that the that you have full prophylactic qualities. I know there's been studies. I don't think we ever came to any general consensus. So I don't really want to go down that road. But the bottom line is, if it's 94, you're never going to come to a general consensus in medicine. If it's 94 and a half percent effective in preventing transmission, you're not interested anyway. That's correct. Okay, Ethan, what about you? I got my flu vaccine earlier this week. I'm not against vaccines. Jason. Hold on a minute. That was a total dodge. Answer the question. No, he said he's not against it. He's f- he didn't say he would or wouldn't take it. Would, would or would you not take it? The COVID vaccine? Yes. Um, the one that undecided. We're about. Um, if I was unhealthy, if I were older, I would take it. But not now. That's a fair answer. Yeah, yeah. I'm 30. I'm generally healthy. I, I would want to see the long-term effects of some of this stuff. I know that they're saying 95% safe, but I at this everybody time... Says, I'll come see me in six months after we've had a bunch of other guinea pigs out there. That cracks me up. James is in. He said, statistically smart. Take it. Uh, Jason? But James is also older. He is. I mean, yeah. I, I think do- for people that are in the 60-plus group... There might be a conversation to be had about the fact that you would know, you people want that are your older, mom, who you love more than anything in the world? To but take my it. mom's a RICU nurse, so she already takes the flu vaccine. She already believes in all no, those different things. The coronavirus things. vaccine, right? She would probably take the COVID nineteen vaccine. And if she because, asked your input, would you advise her to take it or not? Well, she's a nurse. I don't tell her what to do. Uh, you're ducking now yourself. No, I listen. My I always tell my mom, don't take the flu vaccine. Don't take any vaccines that you don't need to take. Because the way I look at it is, why would you infect your body with something that your body does not have if you can keep your body healthy and prevent it? But then you look right. at my mom, who's a breast cancer survivor. You look at my father, who's just, you know severely disabled. Right. They are in a highly compromised position. So well, their the way, personal decisions would be different. The older people and those that have underlying conditions and, and frontline healthcare workers will have the first option for it, which is the right way to do it. Jason, your take. Uh, I've, I've got my flu shot months ago, so I've been okay. Would I take the uh, COVID vaccine? I would definitely talk to my doctor because I'm not over 50. I'm close to it. And since I'm a, since I'm a pretty brand new diabetic, uh, I might be a little more susceptible. That being said, I would most certainly consult my uh, primary care doctor if, That's a scary if, I, condition. if I should take it. All right, Katie? I'm. You know what? I'm not really sure. I, I think I might depend. I'm with Ethan on this one, actually. I'm young. I'm single. I am not around a lot of people. So um, I'm not, I don't have that same fear, those comorbidities, et cetera. But, um, you know, it just depends. It depends on. Uh, all right. I think it's interesting. All right. Thank you all for your participation. Alex in Florida, Sean Hannity Show. What's up, Alex? Mr. Hannity, I appreciate you having me on, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome aboard. Uh, thank you. Uh, to give you some perspective where I'm coming from, I'm 26 years old, basketball coach, uh, spent a lot of time living overseas. In fact, you and I were in Finland at the same time during President Trump and President Putin's meeting in Helsinki in 2018. Wow. I, yeah. I made the top fold of the local, the biggest paper in Helsinki. Because I left oh, a tip in a yet. restaurant, which is not the custom. Swear to God, <laughs> can't make it up. Oh, wow. Well, hey, um, what I want to dive into is something that is incredibly disheartening to witness here in our country. And that is the rise of ignorance with regards to our founding documents, the United States Constitution. And it, now, now it's even more evident than it ever has, in, in my view. Here we are, mid-election year. And we got media worldwide addressing Joe Biden as president-elect. That is wrong on so many levels. 
constitutionally speaking, the election process has hardly even begun. And many of our founding fathers warned us, if we lose sight of the Constitution, we allow the, our founding documents to be chipped away, we will lose our freedom. And President Reagan said a few years before I was born that uh, freedom is only one generation away. And spending enough time overseas uh, and talking with individuals with far more recent history than here, it is extremely true. America is the rarity in the world. People don't even really think about that. Or, you know, when I say no country accumulated more power, abused it less, as Barry Farber would say, and I say it, and it used its power to advance the human condition. Well, here's the latest case in point. You know, America invention, uh, American uh, individualism, innovation just created two vaccines for COVID-19 that I'm sure we will share with the entire world, as we always do. Uh, In terms of your liberties, in terms of your freedom, look, for every bit of, quote, false security your government is offering you, uh, student loan forgiveness, guaranteed job, guaranteed pay, vacation, healthy food, uh, health care, um, uh, retirement. You're giving them the power and you're eliminating your own power, your own liberty, your own freedom. Every time it's been tried, it ends the same way. It fails unfulfilled promises, more poverty, more misery, and then it's a matter of degree. How much of your freedom did you sacrifice in the name of false government security? Because, you know, people are believing the same people that can't maintain law and order, the same people that ruined our educational system, the same people that gave you Obamacare are somehow going to get everything else they're promising right. It is pie-in-the-sky crap, and it's not going to work, and freedom will suffer. And for somebody your age, I worry a lot about it. Anyway, best of luck. We'll keep fighting for it, though. We're not going to stop. Hannity, set your DVR 9 Eastern on the Fox News Channel. We are open and ready for business. We'll have the latest on the corruption, voter scandals all across the country. We got Jim Jordan, Matt Gates, Kaylee McEnany. We'll look at the Senate runoff races with Senator Purdue, Carl Rove. Uh, we'll look at the madness of that that is the left in America today. Uh, and Burgess Owens, Aaron uh, Perini, Larry Elder, and Greg Jarrett. 9 Eastern, set your DVR, Hannity, Fox News. See you tonight. Back here tomorrow. Thanks for being with us.